Welcome to the J.P. Morgan Weekender. I'm Bruce Kasman, and with me this week is Joe Loveton. Hey, Joe. Hey, Bruce. How you doing? You told me you got to go to see someone more important to me, so we're going to have to do this quick. You yeah. either either talk less or talk faster. Maybe we'll All right. Both. But let's, uh, let's jump into this. I think this is an interesting week. Um, we got uh, probably the headline reading was the U.S. CPI report. Um, but, you know, there's still a swirling debate around how to read the inflation numbers where central banks are going to go. What's on my mind as I'm kind of putting the week together is sort of, you know, how we should think about risks through a set of divergence in financial conditions and uh, regional performance and sectoral performance. And of course, as we talk about the inflation numbers, the differing signals we're getting in terms of what we're seeing in the CPI space and the PCE space. So let me let me start with that. Let me just say a word about it and then I'll let you kind of jump in. I I want to get your perspective. But you know, the core PCE number, I think, the core CPI number, I think pretty much aligns with our view that core numbers are kind of sticking around 3%, that there's some fading in the in the goods deflation. It's going to take a while to see service prices move down. Um, but at the same time, the uh, details of the CPI and the PPI for uh, core PCE, um, you know, keeps a wide gap. where We've got 0.3 on CPI and 0.2 on PCE tracking for uh, December. The six-month run rate on the two are running roughly 1.9 on core PCE if we get our forecast, and it's 3.2 on the CPI. So if we have, you know, six months of 1.9, as the Fed heads into the January FOMC meeting on core PCE, how much does that matter? How much does that push the case for uh, early easing? That's the issue now. So why don't you just take it over from there? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's definitely what has fueled um, fueled the market expectations for a, a March uh, hike or cut, <laughs> I should say. Uh, <laughs> I I. I I think you and I were debating this about whether we should say, oh, we're we're nudging our odds towards March hike. I guess maybe I'm a little more strident in pushing back uh, in the sense that you obviously have mixed signals between the core CPI and the core PCE. I know the Fed focuses on the core PCE, but it absolutely does not ignore the core CPI. In fact, it probably consumes most of the oxygen in the boardroom simply because that's the source data that goes into the PCE. So that is very front and center in their mind. Uh, but I, I'd go well beyond the the CPI and the and the PCE debate. In fact, I think earlier this week you were pointing out that the the context of the broader backdrop is really important here. And the backdrop is the following: first, financial conditions have eased significantly since late October. The ten years down 100 basis points. Mortgage rates are down 100 basis points. Equity markets up 15 percent, roughly. That's adding to the 35% they're up since uh, you know late uh, 22. Uh, you've got growth resilience, a labor market that yes, it's moderating, but still strong. 216,000 payrolls, uh, unemployment rate 3.7, uh, and I think all of that combined tells you, yeah, you've got an economy that is still chugging along here. So you don't really have a need to take your foot off the brake. Why take the risk that you're going to be wrong, that core PCE isn't going to lift to meet core CPI rather than the other way around? And I won't get into the weeds on this. You have a lot of good arguments for why you think that is the case. So when I put all of that into the hopper, 
combined, by the way, with the fact that the actual rhetoric coming out of the Fed has largely been hawkish. I mean, the non-Powell comments since that December meeting all point to the direction of, a, of an FOMC that's, yes, they're going to cut in 24, but not really by early 24, like March. And so I think the January meeting coming up in a couple of weeks is going to be very important for the messaging here because they're not going to wait to resolve this by March. They're going to they're going to clean it up in January. And I think it's going to be a message of we're not there yet. I I agree with everything you said, except I'm not as comfortable projecting yeah. it onto a Fed reaction function. That's my only issue. I feel I, I'm not as kind of um, uh, I'm not as kind of committed to thinking about what the Fed's been telling us is that they're really pushing back that hard. I, I don't doubt that they're saying that they're not um, by any means uh, on track yet for moving in March. But I think, um, you know, the way they've shifted, the way they failed to push back and the way you're describing things as, hey, financial conditions are easing and we have to kind of be cautious about that. It just leaves me more um, uh, I think it was un really just un uncertain about how yeah. they... And it was how just they're Powell gonna... in that press conference that didn't push back. I, and and I, I said it, I think, last week. I, I, can't, I, I just think that was a mistake, right? I, I think he was trying to recognize that inflation had made a lot of progress, and he's talking about the set, right? They made those revisions, and they had to make a big revision, and so they had to talk about the progress. The fact that he didn't react to the question on financial conditions easing, and he kind of pushed that off, that was a shocker to me. I think it was a mistake. And I think that's why you very quickly had a series of speeches afterwards, kind of turning in the more hawkish direction. So, uh, you know, if you're going to hang everything on that, that one comment from Powell about not being too concerned about the, the pretty significant easing in financial conditions, um, if you, if you can ignore that, or if you're going to hang everything on that, then maybe you're right. But I just think there's way too much to point in the other direction for me to really nudge the probabilities much. And let me let me say also, I mean, I, again, I'm not, I really don't feel like I have my finger on the yeah. pulse of the Fed. And that's my problem right now. It's not that I disagree with anything you're saying, because we've been talking yeah. about these things, how we're reading the data. I'd also just say from my reading, and it's a little bit of putting weight on the high frequency stuff. I do think some of the supply side stuff is not, doing as well. I think that's one of the messages from last Friday. The wage numbers look like after having come off a little bit or starting to stabilize the Atlanta Fed wage numbers came out this week for December and they show a real flattening in the trajectory. Uh, I'm just not convinced that the some of the fundamental stuff on the supply side, labor cost stuff is kind of giving you what you'd like to see yet. And coming back to the point you made, you know, you should be saying, hey, I do think policy is restricted at five and a half, but it's just not delivering the financial conditions that would be really consistent with that right now. That, that's the way I would read it. That's the way I'd interpret it and, and keep uh, an open mind about the gap between the EC and CPI closing, but not be that wedded to it happening in one one particular way, uh, given that I still think it's there's a piece of the PCE uh, gap that is non-market pricing that has a good chance to to reverse. And it, it's, some of that's going to come from the, you know, my, my core view would be that in the next six months, core PCE runs 0.22, core CPI runs 0.24. We kind of, the gap gets back to more normal. And, so you know, it's like run, two and a half and three. It'd be two, right? two, seven, two, seven and three if we do two that. Seven. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Corpus that's at two seven, and and is and by the way, you're going to see that acceleration there. They're they're not they're not there yet, right? No, no, we're not. There, but no, the, but the the issue is how much do they want to put weight on what has been, you know, a, a really good run of six months now. If on this core PC, I mean, let me turn. I don't want this to just be a Fed thing because I think there's a couple of other issues I want to get to before you run out. Uh, one, I just want to take your pulse. Um, I think Western Europe is an interesting place right now. There's interesting issues on the inflation side, but I want to actually talk about the growth side of things. I think it's a it's an interesting place because I think there's really two uh, sides to risk here, which are both pretty pretty wide tails. On the one hand, the surveys still remain weak. Uh, the industry data is still pretty pretty unpleasant uh, overall. Um, and it's actually not really tracking much above, if at all, zero as we kind of look at the fourth quarter. On the other hand, I'm getting a little more interested in the consumer that's been pretty darn weak here for a long time, starting to see benefits of inflation falling. Wages are continuing to be sticky here. The labor market doesn't look like it's breaking, which is obviously one, one concern. And you know whether we could actually get a, a consumer-led growth uh, pick up in Europe as we go through the first half of the year. What's your way of kind of processing the the risks around those two sides of the tail? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely open minded to that, and we kind of pushed that story kind of hard late last year when we were puzzling over why the consumer was so weak, and fl then flipped it on its head and said, "Well, this could be the upside. This is the case for growth." And when we look into 24 that the consumer comes back to life. And in a world where, you know, you still have pretty strong wage growth running, I don't know, on the order of 4%, uh, you know, in inflation kind of right now, 1%, even if it does pick back up to two, you're still talking about 2% real income gains. Um, and combine that- It's more than that, Joe. You just got to hope that there may be even some hours growth, although maybe that's a little too optimistic. So labor, <laughs> labor might be growing more than the, you know, we're in the low to mid fours on hourly wages. Uh, we might yeah. be getting get actually more like five on labor income. Yeah, um, no, sorry, you're 100% right. I was just referring to the wage rate. Um, so you've got that. You also do have the balance sheet, which is generally fairly healthy and the excess saving, which hasn't really been tapped there. That's a debate on the team, but presumably there's a little bit there. So there's all the reason in the world to think the consumer can wake up if it can shake off the malaise that has been holding it, holding it back. Um, yeah. and, and I think, yeah, that's that's a strong case. Uh, the, I mean, I think the thing that's kind of struck me in the very recent data is, was, yeah, the the consumer confidence has kind of taken a decent step up here, and the uh, labor market just looks like it's not breaking. I mean, that's important yeah. because I thought that was the main thing that could really hurt the story. And you know, the yeah, I mean, the so the, then the but, counter the counter to that, Bruce, and and by the way, fix your microphone there a little bit because it's uh, sorry. Off. That's all right. Uh, the counter to that, of course, is that in the recent data, um, the IP numbers, the manufacturing numbers were, were pretty bad. Um, and while the surveys are, you know, I guess got revised up from the flash readings in December, are still pointing to a stall in economic activity. So um, that combined with very low inflation, um, you know, I think that does kind of raise concerns. Well, I think the other side of the tail, I mean, is partly that you're just not getting the the lift right now. But if you're not getting that lift, if you are sitting with four percent hourly wage gains and your inflation rate is moving 
on a headline basis towards two, then corporates are getting trouble. They were yeah, saved. Hundred percent. They were saved a year ago because even though they didn't get growth, they got pricing. Now they don't have pricing. If they don't get growth, they're in trouble. They yeah. need the consumer to to give them that um, top line revenue growth that we're thinking yeah. at least we're going to get uh, some some help on. So that's why Which I think it's the an kind interesting of margin tale. squeeze story that we we kind of had as our as our recession baseline story a, a little while ago, and and it right. still is one of the tales of our boil the frog. But right, uh, but in the U.S., you've got you still have even if inflation's down, you still have a, a growth story there. Um, yeah. In the euro area, if you don't get the growth story. Yeah. inflation is down, you're going to be in trouble on a corporate side. Yeah, it's so the it's growth a, of the second half that gave us the extended expansion. That's what led you and me to say there's no way we're having a, a recession at the end of last year, right? Uh, and that pushes you out into even through the first half of this year. Uh, you know, we're generally... But that's know, a U.S. story. My point is... I totally Europe, agree. Tour, and then Europe is the opposite of that, uh, where you are seeing those pressures. Yeah, so... Um, I think it's interesting because to me, it's like, hey, I'm a little bit more biased to the upside, but I'm seeing tails in both directions uh, of significance as we turn into the new year. Let me just combined sort of- with a, Just lastly, combined with an ECB that I think tends to focus on its only mandate of inflation and does see a very tight labor market with that strong wage inflation uh, data. And you know, while I mean, the debate that we keep having with clients, or at least I keep asking clients is, is who do you think eases first, the Fed or the ECB? And I would say, you know, 10 times out of 10, everyone says the Fed, which is funny, because I think you and I probably would say the opposite. Well, um, I would say given the macro conditions, it should be the ECB. But I think your weight on the historical uh, sort of cautiousness if that's the right word for the ecb has got to be of some significance but yeah, i think given right. if i if you give me the macro variables for the first half of this year i'll take the ecb every time if you give me the reaction yeah. function i'll take the fed every time so yeah. um we'll we'll see how that plays out um last thing i just want to get your read on I, I know you're actually working on this is like that divergence we've got so you know you've been cautious on industry uh, a little more than i have uh, the numbers have been okay, but the numbers have been so concentrated in Asia in terms of where the growth is. Uh, the data this week on exports in Asia are pretty good uh, overall. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, how, you know, like, let's just say we're running close to 2% on IP growth in the last six months, um, plus or minus on that, you know, where's your bias and what's your... Yeah, I would say we're running a little less than two in the last six months, but let's not quibble with that. Uh, I think, yeah, it's concentrated not only in Asia, um, not only in tech within Asia, because non-tech in Asia hasn't been doing well, um, but it's also driven on the demand side heavily by by inventories. Um, mm -hmm. And that's that. then you lump into that the fact that the PMIs just took another leg down in December and and have been tracking kind of below 50 for, I don't know, six, seven, eight months. Um, it's just, it's not a pretty picture. Uh, I think you're, you're, you're right to say we did get the lift and so we can pat ourselves on the back a little bit because we, we had that call in place back in June, July. Um, but I, I wasn't as big of a lift, maybe as I was hoping. I think you were a bit more cautious than I back then. Um, but as we turn into the new year, I think 
you know, one to two percent. I think on this call last week, we we talked a little bit about this and we were saying one to two. I'm I'm still firmly I don't see anything in what I've done this week looking through the numbers that makes me feel any better about uh, things. And by the way, we did see some pretty bad European IP numbers. That's probably the news on the week. Um, and we'll what, get China what it's next worth, week. We get China next week. Uh, I mean, we had a very strong November, so they're looking for November, December on average to be okay, but December on a month. I think December be, yeah. could be pretty, yeah. I mean, they're not calling for it, but it's just seasonal like chaos that is seasonally adjusting uh, China data. I don't know what, I wouldn't be surprised if you had a negative print, but um, that's our seasonal numbers. Yeah. And then we get US retail sales, which we've got to- Doesn't a, look a, strong either. No, it looks control off. Uh, I mean, obviously the gasoline is going to depress things, but the control down two tenths. I actually think yeah. down, if that we get that, that's- Pretty good after the run we've had for the last uh, few months on 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 control. I think so. that's right to to kind of look to 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 not get too uh, upset about a one month decline after what has been some pretty strong increases. I will say, um, you know, at least the car data points to a pretty big drop in restaurant sales, which doesn't go into control, but is indicative of services, and that has been an important part of the of the expansion story over the last year and if you're if that's the leading edge and it is a true signal rather than noise it's something worth noting okay so i think i'm going to let you go on that on that note um we'll uh i think we'll pick it up next week i'm in europe but i think i'll be um around to do a, a friday call but anyway thanks everybody um and let's pick this up next week on the jp morgan weekender take care